I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast. This week's guest is the great John Strong of Fox Sports. Just a quick reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. Onward! As promised, we've got John Strong here on the line. John, thanks for coming back on the show, my friend. You know what? We we will always have a lovely breakfast together, if nothing else, uh, <laughs> at your Continental Hotel by the Fox Lot. So it's, it's all good, Grant. How are you today? Good to talk to you. I, I'm doing great. I appreciate you coming back on. I will give the listener a very short version of the long, <laughs> long story here that we actually recorded this one other time a couple of weeks ago together uh, at in L.A. Uh, at the hotel right by Fox where we were having this big pre-World Cup and Gold Cup meeting and uh, screw-ups of the amateur variety don't just happen to people in their 20s. They happen to people <laughs> like me and the audio got screwed up and here we are again uh, re-recording uh, an interview that has already taken place but is lost to the mists. It's funny because I was explaining this to my wife that we had to do it again. And I said, I think, you know, the audio file got corrupted or some sort of issue. And she's like, well, how does an audio file get corrupted? I said, well, you know how it is. Young audiophiles, they're sort of insecure. <laughs> they're searching for social connection. They start hanging out with the bigger, older audiophiles in the playground. And then they're smoking cigarettes and getting tattoos and saying swear words. This happens. It's okay. <laughs> and then she just sort of gave me that look of like, why are you the way you are? So, yeah. Um, but... I want to go from from that into something that's actually sort of philosophical and, and heavy here. But Ooh, I like d- it. It doesn't right. necessarily have to be, but you had an amazing 2018. Um, you were Fox's lead play-by-play announcer at the World Cup. You called a ton of World Cup games with Stu Holden, including the World Cup final. Um, you're in your early 30s, which is crazy um, for what you've achieved already. What do you do when you achieve your life career goal in your early 30s? I have, without being too over the top and without being too hashtag first world problems about it, um, I've absolutely spent a lot of time in my own head 
sense. And I always sort of do in the winter anyway, because I don't have games to call, and so my mind drifts to things. And yeah, it's an interesting concept of exactly that. When you have achieved so much of what you would set out your whole life to achieve so quickly. I, I've had things come at me so quickly. I've been the beneficiary of you know, dozens and dozens of lucky breaks being in the right place at the right time. And we felt very proud. I say we because it has been a collective group effort, all of us. We felt very, very, very proud about not just what we accomplished in Russia last year, but our work on the Champions League last spring, through the stretch run of MLS um, into MLS Cup. And it was a wonderful, wonderful year. So what do you do next? And and one of my, one of the ways I, I sort of thought about it in my head, and this has become kind of my stump speech now when I speak to students or things like that or aspiring broadcasters is, um, at the end of the day, what is the inherent difference between the Macarena and Brown-Eyed Girl? Because the Macarena becomes this massive hit, goes around the world and back. But now, if you ever hear it, which you don't, it's probably at a wedding or something where it's sort of being done quasi-ironically, whereas Brown-Eyed Girl, which at the time was sort of a throwaway song uh, by Van Morrison, wasn't necessarily targeted to be this big, massive hit. And I defy you to find someone who can't immediately recognize that song and sing along and bob their heads to parts of it, and it's decades and decades old. So that's my thought process. Like, How do I, rather than just be a one-hit wonder, a flash in the pan, someone who, wow, remember that dude who called a World Cup when he was 33? Whatever happened to him? How do I build a career now? And and how do I build a body of work that you know, stands out? And and we talk about that a lot. And Stu and I, uh, when we were in L.A., had a great sit-down with David Neal, our boss on the World Cup. We watched back the final, and we talked about, as we have with others, what is it that, that Joe Buck and Troy Aikman do so well, that they are the unquestioned A crew, how do we achieve that level? How do, how do we keep pointing in the right direction? How do we make sure at the end of the day, we're in those chairs in 2026? Because whatever life goal achievement Russia was, a home World Cup in 2026, that'll be the biggest soccer broadcast event of any of our lifetimes, probably. So how do we get there? And, and how do we make sure that, in my case, this army of sort of young punks coming out of colleges now and, and our aspiring broadcasters that are getting opportunities in soccer, that are very talented and are getting opportunities even sooner than I did, how do I make sure they don't chase me down before that happens and I sort of just keep my nose out, out in front? So we think about that a lot. Luckily, I'm in an environment of, um, and this is sort of a culture set by Shaw Brown, our producer, every single week, what can we be doing better? What can we be better at? What was wrong? Was fixable? How do we really think um, think on a detail level about the work that we do and not just show up talking to a microphone for two hours and go home. I think that environment is crucial now to make sure that rather than sit back and think, well, I call a World Cup at 33. I'm, you know, I'm the best there is. No, 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 no. There's a lot more for me to reach. When you look back on that Russia World Cup, and it, maybe it's a blur to you, I don't know, but <laughs> I was over there. Obviously, I worked for Fox uh, as well, and I saw the amount of travel, the degree of difficulty for what you were doing, that stuff that not, not you know, viewers didn't see necessarily of like overnight flights all over that country on They Russian did if they airlines. were following Stu's Instagram, which as we joke was our passive aggressive way of pointing out to our bosses, <laughs> you know, what they had done to us. But yes, continue, sorry. But what stands out to you now, looking back at this really huge experience and accomplishment? Because that's the other side of it, right? As much as, okay, move past it, move on, get better, don't let it go. 
don't don't forget the, this incredible time, these incredible memories, because you never know if it's going to happen again. And so that's something you can always look back on as a special time in your life. And I, among other things, I'm looking in my office to my left here. Um, I, I basically, during the national anthem of the final, took a big panoramic photo on my phone of sort of just, you know, because we, we were, I think, five rows from the top of the Luzhniki Stadium. And so this great vista of this incredible moment. And I had it, you know, a big giant canvas print made. And it's going to be, as we redo my office, hanging up as a reminder of that. Um, and it's funny because just over the weekend, so we did the game in Minneapolis. My my brother-in-law, my wife's brother, married into a big Minnesota family. And so we were hang- I was hanging out with them until I flew home. And it was so my sister-in-law's parents who, you know, and I, the wonderful people and, and um, uh, Lisa, Tom and Lisa and Lisa goes, you know, I don't watch any of the soccer. So I, so I apologize for not knowing. And it does sort of preface all her questions, but they're asking me because I hadn't seen them since about Russia. And it was fun to relive it. And I think more so than the games, it was the experiences. It was um, being with a group of friends, Stu Holden, I've become very good friends with Shaw Brown. I've been working with since 2012. Uh, my friend since middle school, Eric, who now we just, Yet confirmed that actually in, in the budgets and all that for a fifth consecutive summer will be with me sitting to my left for every game at the gold cup this year as sort of a stats and research assistant nice. um and it was a special group and 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 special times that we had doing ridiculous things and spending 24 total hours laying over in moscow's third best airport and the, the all these different things we got to see and do and experience three times calling games where i hadn't actually really slept the night before uh, things like that. It just it, it's special. It's amazing, and the fact that we got better as we went along, the fact that we I think finished uh, at our best was really cool. But I will always be someone that for me it's the time spent outside and around the game with my coworkers, with my friends, those experiences, seeing the world, being in parts of Russia even other Russians couldn't go to uh, mm-hmm. a couple of decades ago. That stuff stands out to me more than you know the the Ronaldo's hat trick. Uh, against Spain in our opening match, getting to call Messi's games in person, Germany getting knocked out, the incredible Russia-Croatia. Those things are great, but it's, it's the other stuff that, that will always stand out to me. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Now, as I said, I'm not unbiased here. Uh, I think when you look at that degree of difficulty that you had in Russia and the performance that you had despite that degree of difficulty. I don't know if you pay a lot of attention to Sports Emmy Awards, but I was uh, I was happy that Fox got nominated for its overall production, but I was really disappointed that you were not nominated individually for a Sports Emmy. And, and this is one of those things where we sort of have to reenact the way this went down when we did it live the first time. Um, <laughs> No, I, I listen, I will admit absolutely to being swept up a little bit in that idea because, you know, the, the people in charge of such things at Fox, you put basically what you do is you put together a reel 
um, and it's, I don't know, like 10 to 15 minutes long, and you sort of submit that to the committee and all this stuff. And, you know, I think they felt very good about the work that I had done and the way that they had presented it. But I also, you know, I need to be realistic of this is my first time just scratching at the surface, really of big time sports broadcasting and the guys that were nominated the guys like uh, jim nance and doc emmerich and ian eagle i love that he was in there because I'm, I'm a big big fan of his you know joe buck i mentioned earlier these are guys that have been doing it at that level for a very long time so as as much as it again it's sort of like the, is it a little blip or is it the beginning of something that i can really build on and and be doing it for a long time and get to a level where not just for my own sake but for soccer's sake as well in those types of circles is soccer being seen as a major sport, a, you know, a, a venue for top level sports broadcasting, or is it still being seen as this sort of separate and other thing, sort of a fringe thing onto the side? The fact that Alexi got nominated individually last year was, it was a, an interesting part of that as well. But I think that's the challenge now for all of us is how do we, how do we make sure the work that we're doing is being seen and perceived, not just from a quality standpoint, but from a relevant standpoint, alongside the, the quality work being done in, you know, baseball, basketball, football, hockey, the other, you know, again, in, in sort of air quotes, I roll my eyes, what has been kept is the traditional mainstream sports over a period of time. When when does soccer click all the way over? Right. Um, and, and this is one of those interesting measurements of that. But yeah, it's, it's also, as I've heard from many of my mentors, if you're, if you're focusing too much on individual attention, on individual accolades, on likes, on retweets, you know, it's part of why I've I've kept social media at arm's length. That's a very slippery slope um, to, to end up basically doing this for the wrong reasons or having the wrong goals and aims as opposed to, like I said, can we just produce quality work and, and have a good time and hopefully the viewers enjoy it. Now, this is another topic I'm going to ask you about uh, that may get into philosophical stuff, may not, but is also the bedrock of your job is your voice. Um, I'm sort of fascinated by the topic of voice. Maybe it's because I used to just be a writer and the last couple of years uh, I've started doing episodic podcast series, narration and video and hosting my own video show, all that stuff going on TV. But for different platforms, I'm learning that like bosses, producers want me to have a different voice when I do a Fox video essay on TV compared to when I uh, narrate a Sports Illustrated podcast series. And and I, your voice is such a, a part of you. Do you, how do you modulate your voice? How much of your voice is you? How much did that voice develop over time? Make it sound like I'm Darth Vader or something like that. How much of your voice is actually you, and how much is an auto tune you had surgically grafted in? Um, and I will say this: I'm hyper aware of that sort of thing because I came up through radio. I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't, you know, I I sort of grew into television, but I was in radio for a very long time, where obviously your voice is everything. And I'm of the belief, you know, there are lots of different parts to to television, but at the end of the day, it, it's essentially radio in that. When I'm calling a game, you don't see my face. You don't see I'm not acting in that regard. All you're hearing is my voice. So it is very, very similar to radio. And I'm and I'm very aware of it. It's funny. I can remember, actually, uh, Gabriel Marcotti, who I've only met on a couple of occasions. We were in an elevator together at the World Cup final. And he said to me, uh, he said, I have a question. Because you, you commentators, are you like opera singers, where if you have a little tickle or a twitch in your throat, 
like, do you take that day off? And I started to laugh. I said, no, it's actually opposite of the truth, which is that we learned how to play hurt all the time. And in fact, a great many of the games that I've called, um, and sometimes for a weird reason, the big games that I've called, I've been really struggling. And an example is last year, the, uh, the Zlatan game, the LA Galaxy LAFC game, I had been sick all that week. Whenever I get sick, it attacks my throat. Um, and, and I had a really sore throat, a hoarse voice. I was struggling through that game to get through it. And, and that was why, actually, you asked me to come on um, your show immediately afterwards. And I was like, I can't. Like, I got to rest this thing up because I got a game next week. And I, you know, a couple years ago, I got to a point in the 2015 playoffs. I can't even listen to back to those because my voice was just shot. I'd done the Women's World Cup. I'd done the Gold Cup. And I had bad mechanics, and it just wore down, and, and I did singing lessons huh. in the spring of 2016 to, to learn and understand the mechanics of my voice better. Same as, you know, you work on your running form or you work on your throwing form. I mean, this is my tool. This is my, my instrument. And I've had issues this spring. I got, I got laryngitis, and I was a mess for that LAFC Portland game in week two. Um, I was actually back at the, at the ENT last week getting a tube snake down my nose into my throat, which is a super fun experience. <laughs> Um, you know, and some of it, I think now there's some seasonal allergy issues that are coming in, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm very, you know, Stu makes fun of me that I've made him, um, addicted now to this particular tea that I drink a lot of. I've got Ricola cough drops all the time. I'm very, very mindful of stress and strain on my voice. Am I shouting? Am I in, you know, I, I try to avoid going to, you know, super loud, places where I'm having to shout over that, you know, and be more aware. Cause it's at the end of the day, if my voice starts to deteriorate over time, that's sort of it. I mean, that that's, that's my tool. That's my instrument. And as I remind my wife, I have no other discernible skills with which to support us as a family. So I'm very aware of taking care of it, of using it the right way. And listen, at the, the funny thing of it is I think about God, like one of my very good friends uh, in the broadcasting business, Brian Wheeler, who's the sensational radio announcer for the Portland Trailblazers. And he is solo, doesn't have an analyst for a lot of games anymore, doing 82 games a season now in the playoffs of, you know, two and a half hours each night over night over night. And he's going with energy and gusto and pitch and tone. I do two hours a week now. You know, we don't even have Champions League right now. I just have MLS. It's like if I can't figure my voice out to be good for those, then what's going on here? So it is something that I'm very aware of and, and try to be, but also exactly that. How do I use my voice? How do I use pitch and tone? Um, you know, think about the musical notes on the scale and really use it to, to sell the story of the, what we're trying to tell in these games as opposed to, you know, just having more sort of a monotone thing. Can I use my voice to enhance the words that I'm, that I'm saying? Are you a good singer? Uh, no, I'm not. My my mom actually, who sings in the church choir, interestingly enough, with a man by the name of Bill Shonley, who is the reason I'm a sports broadcaster. He was the radio voice of the Trailblazers for years and years and years that I grew up listening to. So I've gotten to know him through the, the choir, and she would like me to do it, but I just I don't think I'm that good. It's a it's actually sort of a narrow band for singing. I can get more out of it for broadcasting for some reason, but. You know, the the times when I do the, you know, Vela, kind of that, that is, that's singing mechanics that I've mm -hmm. learned over time, um, where I'm, I'm doing it more as a note that I am just sort of shouting and straining through my vocal cords. That's very cool. Um, I want to ask you about Gold Cup this summer. Yes. Uh, because yes. Fox is having a lot of soccer uh, that's being broadcast. Yes. <laughs> Women's uh, World Cup from France, Men's Gold Cup from... 
North America. Um, you will be following Let's say Cleveland in general. I, that's just sort of my stock <laughs> one. You guys have fun in Paris. We'll be in Cleveland. Yeah. But in terms of of the Gold Cup and the history of the Gold Cup, one, I know you're kind of a Gold Cup geek. You're a U.S. Yes. soccer geek. Um, Very much. These should be A squads uh, at the Men's Gold Cup. Uh, there's definitely going to be more squads than ever before with 16. You're not too bummed out about missing Women's World Cup, are you? There's a lot to look forward to with the Gold Cup. Well, that's and I think the way I answered it before is I'm incredibly disappointed to be missing the World Cup in France. But I would be just as incredibly disappointed to be missing the Gold Cup. It is the product of them being at the same time as opposed to four years ago when they were back-to-back, or even two years ago we did the Confederations Cup and the Gold Cup. Now, my wife is thrilled because now I'm not gone for two consecutive months, which is nice. But, yeah, this, it's sort of a no-win. Um, to not be getting to go to France, not be getting to call the World Cup would be an incredible experience. But I would hate to miss this Gold Cup in particular, beyond how much I love the uniqueness, the quirkiness, the, the history um, of the Gold Cup and what it is in these sort of hot American summers. This one in particular with the U.S., I would even say, because it's interesting you say that, you know, they should be full squads, and we've had these sort of things go back and forth. Is this the A squad Gold Cup? Is it the B squad Gold Cup? How does that relate to Confederations Cup? I don't think there's any holding back for anyone in this one right now, certainly for the U.S., but I would also sort of put out there the idea that for Mexico, I, I increasingly have a hunch that Tata Martino would love nothing more and to put one over on the U.S. and to win this thing for Mexico. And, and it did not – I don't know how much this got picked up. But I noticed this with very close interest just yesterday when Tata Martino in Atlanta to promote their friendly, I think with Venezuela, um, ahead of the Gold Cup, made the point that we were offered the opportunity for grass over the turf. I said, no, we don't need it. We're happy to play on this turf. Uh, about a week after the the statement by the the Players Association of the men's national team about the game in Cincinnati. I'm not suggesting a value judgment one way or the other, just that I don't think stuff like that happens in a vacuum. So that sort of builds this concept for me that I I think Tata is is wanting to win this thing, which is I love, which is great. That's what it should be. Um, This is going to be great. This is going to be fun. I'm so we, we yesterday had a big conference call going over our plans and ideas. We've got some ideas about as we're in these cities for the men's gold cup, are we, can we do some events, some viewing parties for the women's team as they are playing their games at the world cup. And, um, at the end of the day, I I got Eric to my left. I got Stu to my right. Um, let's rock and roll on this thing. <laughs> I would also say you mentioned Tata Martino. Didn't he have at least a couple of one or two moments where he sort of gently mocked us soccer for not interviewing him? I will, I will say without, Again, it's sort of, you know, we exist sometimes, as, as you do as well, the world of things that are on and off the record and, and sort of relationships we enjoy because we're not necessarily saying everything. If you remember, in the playoffs last year, Atlanta at New York City, at the end of the first half, Tata came over uh, to the wonderful, talented, amazing, and new mother, Katie Witham, and answered her halftime question in English. <laughs> that type of stuff does not happen in a vacuum. So... I'll just, you know, it, you, sometimes they're small and you have to be paying attention and you you can knit together things, sometimes too much. I, I, I have a tendency to, for my own entertainment, connect dots that aren't meant to be connected. But I just, little things like that, you know, and he's a competitive dude. And listen, at the very least, Tata's trying to win over 
a sometimes, by which I mean always, skeptical public and media in Mexican soccer. Um, I think the rivalry with the U.S. enters a new chapter, a new phase. But it doesn't mean, by the way, that there is an immense respect between Greg Berhalter and Tata Martino. Right. And in fact, I saw a really cool moment between them at this Gold Cup event the other week where we revealed the schedule where they were talking and, and they have a, you know, it's a great relationship those two have hmm. of, of respect and these battles they've had um, in MLS. So that's the thing you can, I, you know, I go back to, I forget what situation this was, but I remember reading this once about, you know, playing against your brother. You want to beat your brother more than you want to beat someone else that you hate. You might hate the other guy in this team, really dislike him. You want to beat your brother more. Because that's a, that that sort of relationship increases the competitive juices. So um, I don't think anyone should overlook at all the the significance of what this would be to have a U.S. versus Mexico final. Among other reasons, because listen, I, I don't think that you the the wound that was opened with the game in Trinidad, October of 2017. That wound does not heal this summer. It doesn't heal by beating Trinidad and Cleveland. It doesn't doesn't heal by winning the gold cup i, I don't know what it takes but it, it'll be more than that however trying to win back hearts and minds trying to get people excited again casual fans even casual soccer fans excited again about the men's national team you do that by winning this gold cup and really honestly you do it by beating mexico in the final a million things go into that and and there's a lot that you can't control the fact that jamaica and then the tournament before that panama have prevented us from a u.s mexico final the last three years, which, by the way, is a good thing. We do need to get to the point where the Gold Cup isn't just seen as, you know, let's just get to a U.S.-Mexico final where there's three or four or five or six plausible winners. That's a sign that the Gold Cup is is better. But um, the idea of what that sort of final would be in Chicago in July, particularly the fact that it could be a day-night doubleheader with the U.S. in the World right. Cup final, um, right. that could be a pretty fun day. That's the type of thing that excites me. So you're traveling week to week yes. doing MLS games from, uh, you know, you're based in Portland, but uh, you're all over the place week to week. What has stood out to you so far in your travels with MLS this season? Uh, I loved Minneapolis, uh, and I, I can give a much longer answer to this, but but I have some fun ties, family and professional, into Minneapolis and the Minnesota Thunder and soccer at the at the old National Sports Center. I so Allianz Field is great. I mean, they two hundred fifty million uh, is not what I would be spending on my house, but is not massive for a sports stadium. They spent that money well, and and Dr. Bill McGuire, the owner of the team, as it was explained to us by a few people, a lot of that was up to him. His attention to detail, his insistence on getting every little thing right. That building is awesome and the the grass will be fine certainly by the time the u.s is there it'll be fine in a couple weeks um I, I felt sort of bad for the groundskeeper who's basically been living there and he's sort of exasperated like it's new grass it's the you know it's minnesota we had snow the other day um but but that was a great place to visit i'm excited to go back uh we go to kansas city at least i do for the first time this week fascinated to see what's going on with sporting kansas city mm -hmm. fascinated to see what's going on with their opponent atlanta LAFC are, and again, this is where it's dangerous with my sense of humor, because I make a joke about, like, these guys are ruining our games because they're blowing teams out, you know, and it's not always taken the right way to people that don't get my sarcasm. But, you know, they're they're playing chess and everyone else is playing checkers, um, which has been great to see. And boy, the idea of, a you know, what Galaxy and LAFC games will be like this year is pretty cool. It was fun to go to Cincinnati. 
it was neat to see that. I think they, you know, it's it's three years in. Um, you're you're still building a broad based supporters culture. You're still building a a soccer fan culture, um, and that takes time. And that that's still a process that's ongoing. But really cool to see. I think it's a lot of it. The investment in Minnesota, the investment in Cincinnati, the investment we've seen from LAFC, the investment in Kansas City with their facility they built last year. That's the type of stuff that you can feel the wheels turning and, and the amounts of money and the seriousness with which it's being spent by people. And we talk about the new teams that are coming in. There's exciting stuff. And and listen, we also, we sort of cherry pick, right? We go to the places. We see the teams that are the most exciting. Um, and, and you can look at our schedule and get a sense of who we are seeing on a regular basis and who we're not seeing on a regular basis. So we get the best of the league by design. So we're in a little bit of a bubble in that regard to every week it's a sold out stadium and it's two top teams and that sort of a thing. But, um, I greatly enjoyed this year and last have stood out that the first half of these seasons, there's, there's an energy, there's a quality, um, that exists to the early season, regular season games that in prior years wasn't quite there where you could sort of tell certain teams were going through the motions a little bit just because they knew it's MLS, it's a long season, it's a forgiving format, we'll rattle off a few wins in the summer, we'll be fine, let's not go nuts here. And and you're seeing, slowly, but you're seeing the wheels turn a little bit on that. And, and that there is, again, you know, the reasons why I think is just that there's a better quality in the league. Yes, there's no relegation, you know, the playoff field expanded, but it's just... There's better teams. There's more people involved in the league who have a mentality of, we want to go out and win every single week. We don't care if it's April or May or September. And and that's that's another area that this league needs and, and that this league will succeed long-term with um, is just quality every single day. And we're seeing it. So here's a question for you, because I, I see LAFC right now and, and think they've kind of been the class of the league on the field so far this season, at least. And... LAFC obviously was not in CONCACAF Champions League uh, this season. MLS, uh, what is it now, 11 straight years without winning uh, CCL. Only one MLS team gets to the semifinals. It gets Kansas City gets destroyed by Monterey. Uh, there's frustration there. Is the gap really that big, or do you think if LAFC was in CCL this year that they would have done better? It's an interesting question because I, I'm a big CCL guy. Uh, that's another tournament that I deeply miss getting to call from my years getting to call it with Fox. I'm a big believer in the importance of MLS winning that, of, of MLS ha- having a team at the Club World Cup. Um, I absolutely agree with it's easy for us to gaze over at Europe, but the fact remains that the most watched soccer league in America by leaps and bounds is Liga MX. Um, and, and that's where that battle for respectability is being fought and should be being fought much more earnestly than worrying about, you know, how MLS is perceived with regards to the Premier League or La Liga or things like that. Now, how do we get over the hump of that? Because on the one hand, you're right. It stretches out over time here. Um, And to see Sporting Kansas City, of all the teams that you would not expect to drop 10 goals over two legs, it would be Sporting Kansas City. Right. Um, In saying that, RSL should have won in 2011. And they had a million chances to score, and it was like the one time that they couldn't score at home. Uh, Toronto could easily have won in a penalty shootout last season. 
Montreal was leading in the second half a couple of years ago right. in the second leg of the final. So this could easily be different. Sometimes the margins of success and failure in sports are a lot more narrow than we tend to remember, or at least, again, when they build up time over time over time. I do think one of the nice things in, in the reformatting, there was a time when it was a full year delay. So like the 2012 Supporter Shield uh, Bash Brothers San Jose Earthquakes were not playing knockout stages of the Champions League until the spring of 2014, by which point they were sort of a battered shell of themselves. And yet, should have beaten Toluca in a penalty shootout, would have hosted the second legs of the semi and the final in the way it was formatted back then, and we're getting guys back healthy. And I, and I submit that that still could have been a really interesting to see where that would have gone with that San Jose team, but I digress. Um, yeah, it's weird, you know, and then Atlanta... As we've seen, it, it, it's it's an imperfect version of themselves right now that that went through um, and was playing in the Champions League. What about this LAFC right now? What are they going to be like even next year, particularly in a league that, by design, it's difficult to build a dynasty? Right. Uh, you get picked apart by just the, the, the roster rules and regulations and the way things are set up, or even increasingly the fact that Big uh, teams and big leagues are going to be interested in buying your players when they have success at MLS. So it is a system that works for MLS, but that is maybe hamstringing a little bit for the ability of teams to compete against the structure and the design of Liga MX and how those teams have been built. And those teams are, you know, Monterey is really, really, really good. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, and a lot of other people have made these points, but count me as one that is a big, big believer in really wanting to see an MLS team win, wanting to see MLS teams on par with Liga MX teams in this in this competition. Um, I think it's been well documented ideas on how we get there, and certainly you can spend an hour easily with any number of coaches and GMs; they'll tell you the same thing. Hopefully, we end up there, but. How easily the story could have been different if not for a few inches one way or the other, certainly with Toronto and RSL. I want to wrap up with something we talked about in our previously recorded podcast, which... The, the rehearsal, the dress rehearsal. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, I Googled your name uh, <laughs> recently to... I wanted to see... I told you not to, Grant. I, I warned you <laughs> and you didn't listen. I Googled your name because I wanted to see how young you actually were. And... <laughs> Um, you could have just asked, by the way, for sure. <laughs> there is someone else with the name John Strong. Just say adult, adult film star. That, uh, that's the polite way of saying it, yeah. Not just that, but an award-winning adult film actor. Um, he how, wins awards. I can't get nominated. I, it's, it's The world's <laughs> funny. It's tough. How, how have you dealt with that one? That's been a funny one of discovering that. And I'm trying to remember when that first came up because I know there was something around when I switched my, my Twitter name to John Strong um, because the I think his like has two ends. Or, so it's he's he's Lithuanian, I believe, by birth um, and has taken on this, this nom de guerre, such as it is, of John Strong, um, which, yeah, I don't – is that a is that a compliment? I don't know. Um and uh, and so yeah, but I think there's like two ends in his, and so at, for a while there, there was a lot of where we're like we're crossing the streams here, <laughs> and there have been issues with my wife. Same thing, searching uh, things on Twitter, and uh, my brother-in-law, God bless him, same sort of thing as well. Was very very concerned when he discovered this. I don't know what you're supposed to do. I always say I, you know, I had the name first, uh, so you know he treaded on my on my yard. 
but I don't know. I think it, at the very least, you know, without being overly uh, childish about it, um, our group, particularly with Stu and with Katie, we're we're very childish in some ways, and we have a lot of fun. And yeah, it has provided fodder uh, for for humor and things like that. Um, it's tough because if I'm having this conversation with Stu and with Sean with Eric, then I throw out the name Igor Rasputin, and they start laughing. But that's a reference that is so specific to our time in Russia and so obscure it sort of fails the rest of the audience. But that's my other challenge if I can work in that idea. Um, but at the very least, yeah, it's, you know what I mean? Listen, I, here I am a young kid just trying to make his way in the world, trying to be a sports broadcaster. I've ended up in these weird situations that had these weird stories. And then there happens to be uh, an adult film star with the same name. So listen, it's just add, add it to the list of sort of goofy, fun things that if this all gets taken away from me, uh, I'll, I'll have some, some fun memories to, to go back on. Well, I, I still have this idea of, um, uh... Uh, for the dog days of summer for an MLS broadcast. And, and this, I have another idea for uh, an SI swimsuit pictorial on MLS coaches and body paint that they just don't want to accept. This uh, is going in a really dark direction, Grant. But <laughs> <laughs> that you and John Strong, the other John Strong, they should have like do a, a gimmicky pregame thing. I, I will I will say that uh, you are more than welcome to bring that up with uh, with our bosses and executives and and let me know what the answer is and uh, you know listen we we have attempted this year to push the envelope we we've we're trying to find different things different ways to um, engage viewers with what's going on we've had some what we thought were really good ideas that that other people uh, unfortunately I think I think you know said no to that maybe didn't need to say no to that. Um, but uh, but yeah, listen, I, you know, I, I'm afraid to finish the rest of the sentence. So there you go. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't think we'd get to MLS coaches and body paint, did you? Um, uh, that that I was not expect. Basically, when you started bringing up the other John Strong, now we're in dicey territory where I've got I'm sort of like Michael Bradley, where I'm like, uh, you can see the wheels turning as I'm like, what's the right way to phrase this? I like to choose my words very carefully, and I say that with deep love and admiration for Michael. Oh, shoot. Um, yeah, so it's a good – I sometimes that happens on our broadcast where I forget that it's not me hanging out with my friends and I'll make a joke or I'll do something that afterwards on our review call, Shaw's like, you can't do that. Like that's something that just loses the – you know, so easy to forget sometimes. It's not just you and I chatting on the phone. This is actually going to be listened to by people and exist in perpetuity on the internet. So If uh, we get the sound yeah. right. If Exactly. <laughs> Take three. It'll, we're, we're really getting better at this. Yeah. Well, John, you are a hero for coming on a second time when the first one uh, didn't pass muster audio-wise. So thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. It's always a pleasure speaking to you. Not the hero we need, but the one we deserve. Grant, thank you as always. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank John Strong as well as producer Brandon Nix and everyone at Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Just a quick reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. See you next time.